0: Passion will get you so far, but if you don't have that understanding of costs and figures, then you're going to really struggle.
1: Hello, and welcome to this special episode of Shopify on Location. I'm Shuang Esther Shan in central London. So I was wandering around the Seven Dials food market with a friend the other day. We were mesmerized by the ever-flowing conveyor belt of cheeses at the restaurant Pick and Cheese. Turns out it's a part of a larger business called The Cheese Bar. Its founder, Matthew Carver, started the business over eight years ago as a food truck. Since then, it's grown into two restaurant locations, a dining on a barge experience, a retail store, and it's entered e-commerce with a cheese and wine subscription and merchandise. Matthew joins us now to chat about his business journey and share advice for aspiring food entrepreneurs. Welcome to the show, Matthew.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: So very excited to chat. I note that before you started the business, you actually did extensive research and you spent time in the United States and then you came back home to London. So where were some of the key lessons you learned during your travels?
0: The research trip was really kind of trying to gain insight into food trends, especially with kind of street food and food trucks at the time in, in, in London our kind of like food truck or street food culture was just sort of taking shape. And so the idea was to go to the States and see what was happening there because the industry was maybe a few years further down the road than we were. So some of the biggest findings, I think, well, essentially that grilled cheese sandwiches are super popular. Um, I think that was the main thing that I took away. I took away that, that the grilled cheese was is really popular. And I also visited a, a restaurant in San Francisco called Mission Cheese that promoted and championed small producer American cheeses. Um, and that really inspired me to take an interest in the cheeses that were produced in this country and find out more about, yeah, what was on our doorstep.
1: So you come back to London and you want to start this food truck. How did you prepare for that?
0: I came back from traveling in uh april of 2013 i did what most people do and i'm like right i'm going to start this business um and then didn't start it for like another year <laughs> it's it's very daunting starting a business and i think for for a while the idea of it is easier than actually getting started i fell back into work when i came back um did some work saved some money and i i did have I did have intentions to start it, but it took me a bit longer than I, I thought until eventually in the beginning of 2014, a friend of mine signed me up to do a food market um, behind my back, I think, to kind of push me into actually actually getting started and not just talking about it.
1: That's a good friend. So steps to actually start this business, like how did you find a truck? How did you get your finances in order?
0: Yeah, we came up with the idea of the cheese truck and wanted to be a food truck, but didn't have any money to have a food truck. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Uh So we started with a market stall. Um Fairly low financial startup costs. I think probably somewhere in the region of a few hundred pounds to buy like a kind of a, a griddle to cook the sandwiches on and some kind of, you know, Tupperwares and basic kitchen equipment. And so, so we started quite simply like that. Worked really hard, did quite a lot of markets and events and festivals in our first sort of five or six months and managed to eventually save enough money to buy our first food truck, which was an old vintage ice cream van um, that we bought very cheap and badly converted ourselves. And so, yeah, we we were kind of like bootstrapped bootstrap business startup, I suppose.
1: Mm-hmm. And I like that there's a consistent dairy theme to your vehicle yeah. from ice cream to cheese. Uh, you also mentioned that you did a lot of music festivals yeah. um, and just to get the business out there. What other events or different initiatives that really helped the business to grow?
0: Quite a big spectrum. I think we were really lucky at the time that we were like in the right industry at the right time. So street food's in kind of 2014, 2015 in London was just really kicking off. Uh, And so there was lots of opportunities and, you know, most kind of corporate parties or corporate events wanted street food businesses to come and do the food. And there wasn't that many street food businesses at that time. You know, I think there was probably about 25 or 30 food trucks in London at that time who all kind of knew each other and were getting lots of work. And so I, I think we were quite lucky to come being those first founding people in in the kind of london food truck scene and so we did lots of kind of corporate parties for large events um predominantly like in the summer in the summer we would be crazy busy working seven days a week 16 hours a day for that you know three or four months and then quiet down in the winter we yeah do a few like winter food markets and stuff but predominantly try and make our money in the summer
1: this sounds pretty strange for someone who sounds like me. I'm I'm Canadian, yep. but I actually have a weird interest in British street food scene. I feel like there's like a pipeline. No, I... I think Honest Burger was like from street food to like a retail location, yep. pizza pilgrims. Uh, which we also had on the show before so how does one go through that pipeline of i'm starting at a stall i might have a food truck and then now i'm going to open a physical restaurant now with a permanent location
0: i think you get like two kinds of people who run food trucks i think you get those people that do it as a way to road test an idea to like get started to get started in the food industry, road test an idea um, with with aspirations of opening something that's more more permanent or more fixed. And then you get the other side of food truck people who who do it because they like that lifestyle and they like the transient nature of going to different events. And so for us, it was, you know, we got into it with the idea that hopefully some someday we would find a permanent location. And I think what a permanent location offers you is just more stability as a business bricks and mortar is great because it's year-round it's it's more consistent you're not at the mercy of what events or what festivals you've got coming up and yeah so it felt like quite a logical step and i think it allows you to expand on what you do um, with kind of food trucks and street foods you keep your menus very simple um, because you have to execute it on the street. Whereas with a restaurant, it allows you more kind of creative freedom to like expand on that and, and to offer more of an experience.
1: For those who are hoping to go through the same journey, what are some things that they should be aware of when committing to a physical permanent location?
0: The hardest bit with it is that, that you are committing to a, <laughs> a seven-day-a-week permanent place. Um, and unlike a food, you know, if you go to a festival and... It, you have a rubbish three days, you just don't go back. But <laughs> if you take on a site and you're signing up to it for the next 10 years, seven days a week, you have to you have to find out how to make it work, however hard that is. Um, I think it shouldn't be underestimated the... Yeah, how much more mentally taxing that is, the kind of seven-day-a-week operation. Um, you know, st- street food and food trucks predominantly three or five days a week maximum so you know whatever happens come monday the chances are you can have a lie-in and you know forget about the weekend whereas yeah with the permanent location it is all consuming which is good and bad
1: so speaking of one of your physical yeah. locations the seven dials market pick and cheese is how i discovered you obviously one and cheese beautiful concept everyone loves it Uh, as long as we're not lactose intolerant. But when I was looking at it, I was thinking, wow, what a perfect business model. Mm. There seems to be little prep. It's very eye-catching. Just operationally, it made a lot of sense. Mm. So how did you go about brainstorming this idea?
0: It kind of comes back to what our mission is as a brand. And our our mission is to try and introduce people to really great British cheese um, and, and try and engage with a a different audience you know I I think the culture around British cheese in the UK is is very focused on on more of the kind of high-end you know like high-end wine bars high-end cheese shops it's not very engaging to a more younger or a less I suppose wealthy demographic so we opened our first restaurant in Camden which is more hot food focused Um, and the second restaurant we wanted to open was to be more of a cheese and wine bar and kind of show cheese in its in its natural state and I remember at the time uh, it was kind of inspired by two things so one in our first restaurant in Camden we had this big sign on the wall that had a list of the 15 different cheesemakers that we worked with and it said a little bit about the cheeses and you know and people always came in and said Oh, I wish we could just assemble a cheese board where we could pick you know I want to try number one and number 12 and number 15. And so that that kind of got us thinking about how could we do that? How could we offer, you know, that that kind of setup? And then the second thing was I was reading a book uh, when I was on holiday about the guy whose name I can never pronounce or remember, but who first put a conveyor belt into a sushi restaurant. And he was saying that at the time sushi in Japan was seen as like a similar like high end kind of Food that you went to a fancy restaurant for and sat down, and he wanted to try and make it more accessible and get more people eating it and so his idea was to put it on a conveyor belt and that would reduce his labor costs and make it easier for service um and you know reduce the dish sizes and 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 kind of engage a new audience and so I think that really inspired me that we kind of wanted to do a similar thing with cheese, and so maybe there was some kind of similarities there.
1: I recently read about the IKEA effect, which is if you get to interact with your item or your service, you feel it's more value. So I definitely get that from this experience because you get to interact. You get to like pick the cheese off the belt.
0: I think in restaurants these days, people want an experience. I think you can get food delivered at home. You can get really good food delivered at home from Deliveroo, from Uber Eats, wherever. So I think when people go to restaurants, they want an experience and they want to feel like it's something that they couldn't have at home. And I think the conveyor belt does that. You know, it's, it's fun, um, which is what dining out should be.
1: So speaking of experiences, I know that you also have dining on the canal, which is the cheese barge. I personally love the canal. I've went as west as Little Venice and as east to Canary Wharf. So tell us about the cheese barge.
0: So yeah, so the barge was um, a really interesting project that we were involved with. Our landlords there were responsible for kind of putting some new boats onto the canal to kind of engage people in into that space. They said to us, that we've got this incredible 96-foot barge um, that we're looking for someone to do something on. Um, and so we kind of came up with the idea of this floating temple of cheese um, called the Cheese Barge. And yeah, I, th- I think, again, it's that experience thing, you know, I think people in London love being by the canal. Um, in the summer, I don't think there's anything better than sitting by the canal in London having a drink. It almost makes you feel like you're not in the city anymore, like you're on holiday somewhere. And so, yeah, I I think we saw it as like a really good opportunity to open a restaurant that offered a really unique experience.
1: It really is. I'm chatting with Matthew Carver, the founder of The Cheese Bar. So shifting gears, I know that COVID has made so many food establishments pivot, yourself included. So tell us about you entering e-commerce with subscription and merchandise.
0: Up until COVID, we'd always been a hospitality business. People come to us and experience our restaurants and eat our food. And then obviously with COVID, people couldn't come to us anymore. And we couldn't operate restaurants, so yeah. When COVID hit, we were forced to close all of our all of our restaurants. Um, because we worked directly with all of the cheesemakers that we um, that supply us, we had a an inordinate amount of perishable cheese, and B, we had a commitment and a responsibility to those producers to keep selling their cheese and finding a way for them to find a market for it. And so straight away, I, I can remember overnight when we closed the restaurants. Helen and Taylor, who worked with me, very quickly found Shopify and uh, found it pretty quick and easy just to set up a, a really basic online um, site uh, that we posted, you know, through our mailing list on our Instagram and said, you know, we are obviously closed in the restaurants, but we're selling cheese and wine online. And initially, it was for just delivery in London, uh, and we used to deliver ourselves. And then after. I don't know, a month, we got into kind of nationwide and paired with a courier and started shipping it all across the country. And then, yeah, I, sp- I suppose we never kind of look back from that. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting, I suppose, that COVID forces you to try these new business ventures that you never thought would be part of your business model, but actually have been, you know, really interesting to add a different revenue stream or to engage a different audience. You know, I think it's, Enabled us to interact with people from all over the country in ways that maybe the restaurants don 't so much
1: so what were some challenges shipping perishables and the logistics of it all?
0: yeah, I think shipping perishable items is definitely the definitely was the most challenging thing yeah i think it's it 's that uh, not having complete control over your customer journey with the restaurants people come in and we can control the whole experience from the moment they come in the door to the moment they leave, but with, with shipping stuff around the country, you're so reliant on couriers, finding people's houses and keeping it in a safe space or making an effort to find a, a doorway that isn't maybe the most obvious. Yeah, packaging stuff, sending bottles of wine, learning you know, how to package bottles of wine and how to bubble wrap things and all of those many joys was definitely initially, um, yeah, initially quite a steep learning curve.
1: And you also have really nice merch like Thank i would you. I would want to wear those cheese socks and have a cheese poster <laughs> in my house. so how did you go about designing everything?
0: I want everything our business does to be intentional, and I think sometimes with merchandise and stuff from restaurants, it can be un unthought through, or I oh, will just put our brand name on something and people will buy it. but I think. I wanted to make sure that things that we created were interesting and relevant and had thought behind them.
1: I know that you also have a retail location, Funk, which you also use Shopify POS. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to us about having a retail store and managing that.
0: So we opened the retail store again during COVID. So we closed the restaurants and everything in kind of March 2020, like everyone else. And we did mail order and shipping nationwide all through the summer. And then as we got more towards Christmas, so like October is relatively near Christmas, I suppose. Selling cheese at Christmas is a a big thing. Most cheese shops will make 60 or 70% of their yearly revenue in the month of December. And we kind of anticipated that there would be more lockdowns and more uncertainty. And so a retail space seemed like a good opportunity because it allowed us to continue trading even during lockdowns and um, restrictions. And so we opened in October 2020 uh, and at the time we were using Shopify for all of our kind of online cheese sales and stuff. So it felt like a natural a natural kind of progression to use the Shopify uh, point of sale app for the shop and it's been really good it's it's good in the way that it allows us to manage stock levels um, both for our online sales and also in the shop sales it's good for pickup and collection so allowing people to go and shopify buy whatever they like and then choose if they want to come and collect it in the shop or yeah or get it sent to them nationwide ease of use and ease of how the online and the and the physical location of funk work together it was just really useful.
1: And I think another part is you have profiles of those who've shopped online and yeah. you also can understand their behavior visiting yeah. you in store. So yeah, what kind of data insights or different initiatives whether it's email or different types of communication you've used throughout interacting with customers whether online or in the retail store.
0: Something that we were really focused on during the COVID lockdowns when everything was online, um, kind of being able to see customer spends, who was ordering frequently and then wasn't ordering, and being able to kind of reach out to them and say, you know, like, you know, I noticed that you ordered five or six times in the last couple of months and we haven't had an order in a while. Is there anything we could do to bring you back? Or, you know, here's a little discount. Or next time you order, we'll throw in a bottle of wine or... Being able to understand that and customer behaviors was really, really interesting. I think it's interesting we link kind of our our Shopify database to our restaurant database. And it's interesting to kind of see, you know, who buys online and then will come and visit the restaurants or come and visit the restaurants and then buy merchandise online. It's it's really interesting to kind of see the customer journeys.
1: And there's so many different touch points. So initially when you started I think all of the different events you were doing, corporate or music, or even having a physical location, those were kind of just helping you market because people will see you. Yeah. And they'll revisit you. So now that you've been online, have you experimented with different types of marketing?
0: We have. I would say that our marketing isn't always our strongest side. I think we rely heavily on social media. Um, we have... A fairly strong mailing list um, that we rely on. We use a PR company and stuff like that to get ourselves out there. But yeah, we haven't really, I don't think, explored fully online marketing as of yet.
1: Something for the next chapter. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely.
1: So excited to chat more, Matthew. Hope you're enjoying our conversation about Matthew's food business journey. If you haven't already, follow or subscribe to Shopify Masters wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review or comment for the show. Thanks. Looking at the financial side, you initially bootstrapped and then when you expanded, you actually went on Cedars and looked for patrons and fans of the business to actually get involved with fundraising. Um, Why did you choose that path?
0: I think there was demand there at the time from people who were fans of the business or people who we knew who wanted to kind of share in our journey. It seemed like an interesting way to raise capital. I think I liked the idea of not particularly having one large investor who we were at the mercy of, but having this kind of group of people who believe in what we do, who help to fund the business and then share in the rewards. And so it kind of, yeah, it kind of, I suppose, appealed to that mindset.
1: It's almost giving a she's co-op. Yeah. 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 Have you ever toyed with the idea of, to your point, angel or venture capital investment? Or does that d- not sound appealing at all?
0: Yeah. I mean, we have toyed with the idea. I think as you grow in business, you are more aware of the pros and cons of both. And I think I've become more open to the idea of like an angel or a private investor. Um, I think there's something quite good about having Contrary to what I thought maybe four or five years ago, I think there is something quite good about having someone to answer to. And and as, you know, as a business, someone who you can talk to or talk ideas through, who's been there or, yeah, I think someone with an industry experience in that would be quite useful. Yeah.
1: Give us a few stats that you're comfortable to share with to illustrate how much did you bootstrap in the initial days yep. to get things started and what kind of revenue you've grown to nowadays.
0: When we first started, in terms of, you know, money, I would say we, we got started with five, five or six hundred pounds, you know, um, back in 2014. And we managed to save a little bit up and, and bought our first truck for a, a few thousand pounds. And in those days, when you you were bootstrapping, you would just work your socks off until you could afford what you needed and then work your socks off for the next thing and keep going like that. So in 2016, we raised about 130,000 pounds to open our first restaurant. Uh, And then we raised again in 2018 and raised close to 200,000 pounds to open our second restaurant. Post COVID, our turnover is somewhere in the region of like two and a half to 3 million.
1: And that's very substantial growth from very scrappy means, especially in an industry where, you know, margins are pretty thin. There's also a turnover of staff. What advice financially you have for people who want to go into the food industry?
0: I think my biggest learning is that you have to really be on your costs and know your numbers. I think we're an industry that has a lot of passionate people who get into restaurants, get into food because they have a real passion for that. And I think you do have to have a passion because it's, you know, like you say, that the margins are tight and it's anti-social hours a lot of the time. You have to be doing it because you love what you do. But I think you also have to have that kind of understanding and awareness of what what goes beyond that is is figures. And, And passion will get you so far, but if you don't have that understanding of costs and figures, then you're going to really struggle. I think the important thing is to know that you have the passion for doing it, but also make yourself aware and spend the time to understand the financial side of it and and what you need to make that a success.
1: You have to be profitable in order to keep going. Another part I'm interested in your journey is you started off by working and being face-to-face with customers and now you have an office and you have to manage (laughs) different locations so you are limited in your interaction with customers Uh, how has that mind shift been for you
0: good question i think there's pros and cons to it isn't it i think like a lot of job roles and a lot of businesses that the better you get at the role quite often the, the more removed you become from what got you interested in it initially you end up having different challenges or having different responsibilities or different things that you find yourself responsible for. I think there's certain aspects of interacting with customers that I, I do miss. You know, I still get opportunities to work in the restaurants and, and be part of that, but there is also this whole kind of new realm of challenges that I find myself concentrating on, which I also do enjoy
1: you also have to let go and just trust your your team to manage certain locations yeah uh versus before you were like very much at the control of execution so how has that side of the journey and like that mental letting go trusting responsibility
0: i think it's hard at first and i think at first you are constantly in that mindset of well i could do it better why don't i do it um and then you realize that unless you want to be working seven days a week, <laughs> 24 hours a day, you have to entrust the people around you. And I think it's important to allow people to make mistakes because then they grow. You know, I think that I am only good at doing the things that I do now because I made so many mistakes and learned so much along the way. And I think it's important that we allow you know, the people around us to, to follow that same journey and make mistakes in order for them to grow.
1: Throughout all the years of hiring, any advice in the realm of interacting with humans, but with this weird construct of like being an employer now?
0: I think treat people with respect. I think quite often people overthink the employer-employee relationship and actually really what it should be about is treating people with respect and making them feel valued, making them feel like you have their best interests at heart, um, And that you are trying to help them to be the best person that they can be in their role. I think if you're clear with expectations and take away, you know, too many emotions from relationships with staff, etc., then I think you get the best from people.
1: So we're recording at a time where a lot of businesses are thinking about the effects of inflation and the growing costs of raw ingredients. How are you handling that aspect of running your business?
0: I'm always trying to be in the mindset of it's best not to worry about these things too much until they come. I think if you allow yourself to be worried about all of the many unforeseen things that might happen in the next 12 months, then you probably won't sleep an awful lot. So I think you know trying to remain positive trying to be as cautious um and aware as you can be I think if you focus on the day to day looking at what's happening day to day and and try to be as cautious as you can and and act as quickly as you can on those things then I think you will put yourself in a good position I think 2023 will be interesting but I don't know I think always in these scenarios I look back to you know, 2020 when we had to close all of our restaurants and we had no money coming in for, you know, however long. In comparison to the challenge that that created, I am feel like I'm up for the challenge.
1: <laughs> for sure. So... On a more optimistic note, are there any new projects or launches or news that you can share with us?
0: There's some exciting restaurant plans for next year, but I can't share too many details. We are hoping that we will open our first restaurant outside of London and hopefully another one within London.
1: Very exciting. We will keep our eyes peeled to your socials. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Matthew.
0: Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you.
1: That's Matthew Carver of The Cheese Bar. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Shopify On Location, recorded in Wardrobe Studios in London by Tom Berry. Shopify Masters is produced by Megan Coyle and Gogo Zogert. Our engineers are Matt Schwartz and Miku Betlam. Benjamin Galib is our supervising producer. And I'm Shuang Shan. I'll see you next time.